evidence and answers. As the new school year is upon us, people of all ages have to deal with the same issues, discernment, making the right choices at the right time. But what can we do to assist in this decision-making? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today on Evidence and Answers, our format will be a little different. Pat had the opportunity to be on a syndicated radio show called Point of View, hosted by Kirby Anderson of Probe Ministries. The topic is discernment. Kirby's guests include Michael Craven and our own Dr. Pat Zucran. Now with part one is Point of View's host, Kirby Anderson. We're going to focus a lot of our time and attention on the subject of discernment to talk about the need for us to be able to think biblically about every area of life. We have two guests in studio to really help us out with this. First, uh, again, Pat Zucran has been with us before. Dr. Pat Zucran, I guess I should say, has a master's degree from Dallas Theological Seminary, a doctor of ministry from Southern Evangelical Seminary. He's an author, a radio talk show host, and his most recent book, which we've talked about with him in the past, The Apologetics of Jesus. Pat, thank you for being with us today. Great to be back here in Dallas, Kirby. Uh, great to be back with you. And uh, last time we saw you, Kirby, you were in Honolulu, Hawaii, speaking at the Hawaii Apologetics Conference. And uh, you did a wonderful job out there, and the people of Hawaii are wondering when you're coming back. Well, we'll see if we can make that happen. I'll talk just a little bit more about you being in that melting pot of all sorts of different religious ideas in Hawaii. But let me introduce our other guest. Again, doesn't need much re- introduction because he's been with us many times before. Michael Craven, a cultural apologist, author, columnist, probably best known for his more recent book, Uncompromised Faith. The individual has authored a popular cultural apologetic series. You, of course, can get his commentaries. We'll talk more about that in just a minute. And Michael, great to have you here as well. Kirby, it is great to be here and with Pat as well, although I am envious of the fact that he gets to live in Hawaii. (laughs) We might talk about that for just a minute. Now, for people that have never been to Hawaii, it sounds idyllic, and there are some aspects of it, but it is also a place where you really have to know how and why you believe what you believe, because it is an incredible collection of different worldviews and philosophies. And so you have been spending a fair amount of time not only interacting with individuals there, but also teaching in the various Bible colleges there in Hawaii. Yes, Kirby, not only in Hawaii, but throughout Asia. I'm also teaching in several Bible colleges in the Pacific, in Southeast Asia, and in Asia, uh, several countries that I can't mention where mm-hmm. I'm teaching and training many of the Christian leaders there. So I get to see what's going on amongst the Christian leaders throughout the Pacific and throughout Asia. And I tell you what, some exciting things are happening. You know, the preached a message called the Gospel Tsunami, and the tsunami went through Europe, hit America, and now it's hitting the Pacific and Asia. And for those of you who don't know, the biggest churches in the world are in Asia now. Mm-hmm. Korea, China, India, Indonesia is you know, a Muslim country, yet they're going to have probably the biggest church building in the world, one that can seat 80,000 people. So some exciting things are happening out there. But also there's a lot of spiritual conflict out there, you know, and as Kirby, as you mentioned, in Hawaii, Hawaii was once dominated by the Hawaiian religion. And then when the Asian population came in, Buddhism took a strong foothold there. Of course, with the uh, missionaries there, Christianity has had a stronghold there. But it's a very liberal state and very eclectic. All kinds of religions are there. In fact, just this past weekend, I had to attend the funeral of my uncle, 
who was the former president of the Hawaii Buddhist Association. Wow. And sitting there in a sanctuary of a thousand people, they called your name up, all the relatives, to go up to the altar and bow down to the Buddha and place incense. Mm. And then you greet the family. And so when they called my family's name, you've got a thousand people in the audience wondering, what's Pat Zuckerman going to do? You know, all eyes are staring at you. And a lot of people were upset when I wouldn't go up and bow down to the, to the altar there. And so it's a real issue in Hawaii. You know, a lot of liberalism, a lot of ideas that oppose the gospel of Christ out there. And you really need to be prepared, not only what you believe, but why you believe it. And to be able to articulate it in a manner that's intelligent, in a way that people will listen, you know, with humility and gentleness, as Peter says in chapter three of his book. Let me come to you, Michael, for just a minute. One of the things we're going to talk about today is the need for discernment, and you certainly have an uncompromising faith, pointed out the fact that the church sometimes doesn't even know what the questions are, much less how to answer them. And uh, the younger you are, it seems to me, the less culturally aware and biblically aware and historically aware of even where we are right now in the culture. Yeah, I think we are uh, suffering through a condition that is unprecedented in the history of the church, and that is a um, uh, really a profound... Uh, dearth of coherent theological understanding. What we have is a very popularized theology uh, that is derived from the culture around us. It's been uh, shaped by the culture around us. It's it's almost consistent with being American, being conservative, uh, mom, apple pie, all of these things, that this constitutes being Christian. And what this inevitably um, results in is an emphasis on personal piety. It's a list of do's and don'ts and and uh, leads to a life of of sin management, basically. Uh, But it's a life devoid of any real power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, And more importantly, it is a life that is is not even on course with the mission of Christ, uh, of of being an ambassador of his kingdom come into the world, this redemptive kingdom that has penetrated reality and has been changing the world for 2,000 years. Uh, and the church has served as as God's essential witness and instrument for the advance of that kingdom. Uh, and yet this is an idea that is, in the mind of many Christians, just really foreign. Yeah. Um, and the younger you are, the less likely you are to understand that. I mean, uh, Christian Hunter in his book talks about moralistic therapeutic deism. In other words, uh, therapeutic, you know, I'm, it's just for me to feel good. Moralistic, I just do the right thing. Deism, well, God isn't really involved in my life. He's maybe somebody that created the universe and then walked away. And so you have a whole generation of young people today that on a lot of theological issues don't really hold to what we would call biblical orthodoxy. They don't, and I think there's a reason. I think there's a multitude of reasons for that, but uh, not the least of which is we bring to the Bible a set of presuppositions and ideologies, ideological commitments. And one of those ideological commitments uh, has its origins in the Enlightenment. Uh, it was it was the, the rise of this, this idea of the autonomous self, that there is no thar- authority outside oneself. Um, this idea has so pervaded and infected the Christian church in America that it's literally appalling. Uh, it undermines the sense of community. It creates the, uh, the church hopping and shopping phenomenon where, you know, you think your membership in the church is a voluntary act. Uh, and therefore, I will test this church, and if it serves my needs, meets my interests, uh, keeps me entertained, has the right kind of music— uh, it, it's all about me, in other words, then I will continue to give this church my membership. And if it fails to do that, 
then like any other good consumer, I will simply move to another church. But this is a completely unbiblical concept of, of ecclesiology, of membership in the church, and the, the truth of the matter being saved out of isolation and alienation and into the community of God's called people. I might just mention that you were talking about secularism in your book, but also in your chapter on consumerism, you have that mindset, which I thought was so profound. I included some of that in my most recent book on money, because it seems to me that, again, we have this kind of consumer mentality about religion. When we come back, Pat, what I want you to do, you have some of the facts and figures from George Barna. He's been on this program with us before, even joined us around the roundtable a number of times. Maybe get a little bit of a handle on what we find, but uh, uh, just to give you a little bit of a preview. One of the things that we were so uh, devastated by a number of years ago was when George Barna went back and talked to born-again Christians and concluded only about 9% of them have a biblical worldview. And when you look at that uh, particular set of criteria that he talks about, most of us would consider that sort of basic theology. Then he was here in the studio a while back and said it was 19%. So I kind of caught him. I said, wait a minute, from 9% to 19%, maybe we've uh, had a very successful change. And it turns out, unfortunately, lamentably so, he pointed out that it was simply due to the fact that they changed the way in which they asked the question, changed some of the criteria. And so as a result, you can see that uh, most people are not thinking Christianly. And so back to whether we talk about yoga or Eckhart Tolle or Rhonda Byrne, whether we talk about the Twilight series or Harry Potter or whatever, most of those issues are not being addressed from a Christian point of view. So today we're going to focus some time and attention on discernment, talk about how the church needs to develop that, how we as believers need to develop that, but most importantly, how we need to pass that on to our children. If you'd like to read a little bit more, we've posted some articles related to the topics that we are addressing today on our website, pointofview.net. So many people in church, especially young people today, that actually in brace and actually accept all sorts of contradictory ideas, things which are foreign to the gospel. How are those ideas infiltrating the church? We have Dr. Pat Zuckerin with us and uh, Michael Craven with us, president of the Center for Christ and Culture. Pat, to give us a little bit from George Barna, when he's here, he can rattle those statistics off pretty well, but I'm sure you can as well. And when we start looking them um, in the face, it helps us understand that we've got a lot of work to do with inside the church. Yes, you know, one of the things that people who study the culture, such as George Barna and Chuck Colson and others, were wondering, if there's so many Christians in the United States, why is it that the impact is so minimal? And one of the great things Barna did for us is he took this massive survey on worldview mm-hmm. to see if Christians had a biblical worldview. And some of the statistics he came up with are quite disturbing. Uh, only 10% of Christians have a biblical worldview. And when it comes to young people, teenagers, only 2%. He found out had a biblical worldview. And when it came to pastors, it was very disturbing that less than 50 percent had a biblical worldview. And as a result, you know, Christians embrace some dangerous ideas that are contrary to what the Bible teaches. For example, 63 percent of born again teenagers do not believe Jesus is the unique son of God. There's a growing number that hold to pluralism, that all faiths, about 60 percent believe all faiths teach equally valid truths. And so, as you can see, Kirby, Romans chapter 12 says, you know, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But the question is, who is influencing who? And the statistics we're seeing from Barna and other surveys is that the culture is impacting the church rather than the church 
impacting the culture. And Christ commanded us to be salt and light, you know, in a dark culture. Yet we're beginning to see instead of the church impacting the culture, the church is conforming to the culture. And is it any wonder why then with so many people who profess Christ that here in the West, the church has such a minimal impact on the culture around us. And one of the concerns is what Francis Schaeffer brought up years ago, that we end up with a schizophrenic kind of Christianity that many Christians see, and I see this all over as I'm teaching here in the U.S., that Christians believe that Christianity applies to my spiritual life, you know, my prayer life, getting saved and my eternal destiny, but that's it. When it comes to the sciences, when it comes to philosophy of government and economics, when it comes to music and art and literature, it doesn't apply. Well, then what standards what ideologies do we go by? Well, we go by what the culture teaches us. But when it comes to Sunday morning, my worship, my prayer life, that's when Christianity applies. And we end up with a schizophrenic kind of Christianity. And that's why our impact has been minimal on the culture around us. Michael, let me come to you because not only is it, as you said, a schizophrenic culture, it's, as you always have said on this program every time, it's a truncated gospel. Speak to that issue because that's a phrase that you've used quite often. And I think it is an accurate understanding of exactly the way today most Christians actually perceive Christianity. Well, I think in order to set that up, we really have to go back 500 years to the time of the Protestant Reformation. You know, you had this this tremendous period in world history where, where fundamental ideas within the church were being challenged, mm-hmm. and, and not just by Martin Luther, but, but as, as one writer has referred to it, it was in fact a movement of movements. I think we're seeing something similar today, but in the wake of that Reformation, and, and, and what many believed was the recovery of historic Orthodox Christianity. There then followed ongoing debate, uh, disagreement, arguments, ultimately that led us into wars over doctrinal theological mm-hmm. issues. These became so contentious, they divided state against state, uh, they divided people against people. Uh, there was the slaughter of, of human beings on a scale that was just unprecedented. And, and Europe, Western Europe, was nearly economically destroyed as a result of these religious wars during the 17th century. And in the wake of that, that, that frustration over these ongoing conflicts, there followed a reaction. Uh, and that reaction gave rise to the Enlightenment. It mm-hmm. gave rise to secularism. And ever since then, we're talking 300 years, even within the Church, who has been profoundly and deeply influenced by secularism, by the Enlightenment ideas of the autonomous self and other things, um, there has been a profound reluctance to have definitive dialogue and discussion about these historic theological disagreements. And so we've sort of left these things unsaid, and the consequence of that, I believe, has been we have this very incoherent theology. Uh, and in many cases, people hold theological views that historically would be understood as, as, as inconsistent with themselves. Uh, but we don't want to talk about these things for fear of, of inflaming these, these passions, these theological passions, these opinions. And so we have a church that, that again, is just lacks this, this theological framework through which they can analyze the things that Pat points out, uh, how Christianity understands and interprets reality. And, and we believe that God, who is the creator of reality, has revealed the proper interpretation of reality. And that's what we mean when we talk about the Christian worldview. Uh, but it cannot be divorced from this theological foundation 
Um, I think that's one of the struggles that we have among those of us who work in the area of trying to recover Christian worldview is we're talking to a church that this remains sort of a not not a core curriculum, but but sort of an elective. Yes, uh, that we can add worldview on top of what is arguably a false or, or or misunderstood theology and achieve the same result. When we simply can't, we got to get back down to the foundations and recover these theological truths about who God is, what is the nature of salvation, what is the goal of the future, is there a kingdom, has it come, has it not. Um, and this then leads us now to where we've we've gone so far in the in the wake of this understanding to corrupt our understanding of the gospel. We've truncated it. We've shortened it. We've simplified it. Again, I think in an effort to sort of avoid these controversies, historical controversies, uh, but also to 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 speak to an increasingly simplified culture. Uh, we've embraced the the concepts and strategies of of Madison Avenue, and that and that strategy has always been keep it simple, stupid. Hmm. The church is doing the same thing, and so when we talk about the gospel today, we're generally referring to an activity in which we present people with some facts about Jesus, ask them to agree with these facts, and upon doing so, tell them to pray this little prayer, and you're saved. And we move on to the next one. And almost immediately before they've, they've enjoyed any sort of discipleship and growth in the nature of this faith and what has actually transpired in their lives, we're telling them, you need to go out and do the same. And here we've got this simple six-week program to teach you how to do that. Um, but in doing that, we have, we have lost what is, is, is not only essential but obviously profoundly important to the gospel, and that is its emphasis on the kingdom which broadens the mission of the church beyond simply evangelizing. Evangelism is obviously critically important to the church's mission and witness, but it's not the only thing the church is set on the earth to do. Pat, I was just thinking you've worked as a youth pastor. When I think of young people hearing this, first of all, if they hear this message as being just the gospel, it's kind of like, okay, I made that decision when I was in junior high school, end of discussion, then I go out and then I just get all my ideas from the culture. Uh, or they just say, well, life is more complicated than that. They reject it. And so we are seeing what uh, some people are calling the last generation of Christians. We're seeing a very small number of young people, some of whom have been in our churches, go out into the world, go out into churches, uh, go out into colleges. But after a while, they don't seem to be staying in those churches. They sometimes don't come back to the churches simply because they kind of reject this idea of a truncated gospel because they think life's a little bit more significant than that. Yes, you know, Kirby, the recent surveys are showing, for example, the Southern Baptist survey, nine out of 10 students drop out of church after graduation from high school. And the Christian Post reports anywhere from 60 to 90% dropout rate. And so youth ministries are seeing that trend throughout the country, and they're tremendously concerned. And as I'm teaching at these Bible colleges in the United States, it's really interesting as I go over some of the ideas that came out of the Enlightenment, as Michael Craven says, you know, Immanuel Kant, that you can't really know true reality, you know, and then the ideas of pluralism and relativism that have developed out of that and scientism. And you'll be surprised to see that most of the students come up to me and said, man, I didn't know, but that's exactly how I think. And I didn't know that was contrary to biblical thinking. You know, they're for 12 years in a public education system being inundated with ideas that are contrary to the biblical worldview and without a strong teaching in the church to counter that. Is it any wonder they think more like the world than like the Bible? 
talking about discernment and also a truncated gospel and the need for us to prevent some of these issues from infiltrating the church. And of course, a lot of the application relates to the younger generation, which are growing up with uh, biblical illiteracy and historical illiteracy and cultural illiteracy. Uh, if any of you have ever watched uh, Jay Leno go out on jaywalking, not that, uh, of course, 9 p.m. on Santa Monica Boulevard on a Saturday night <laughs> is necessarily a representative sample of America, but, Michael, you're laughing, but you know that some of the statements you get, this is a good example of not even knowing what you don't know. Yeah. And uh, the sad reality is it would be easy to toss jaywalking off and some of these TV reporters that have been doing interviews during the election off as as aberrations. But sadly, it just illustrates again that we have a culture where we do not have an understanding of how we got here, the importance of ideas. And with that truncated gospel, Christians oftentimes are just simply incapable of confronting the culture in a reasonable way. Well, I think we're becoming an increasingly stupefied culture. <laughs> um, and and we, we, um, we mediate this stupefaction by entertainment, by distraction, by divertisement. Uh, Blaise Pascal talked about this, that, uh, uh, that, that, that we have a natural tendency toward this diversion. Um, you know, he said that, that without knowing which of the two will happen, uh, whether one will fall into the hands of an angry God or forever into oblivion, the only thing that such men can do is spend their days without a thought of trying to find out what is going to happen. Uh, and the way they, they, they encourage these thoughts is by remaining distracted. That is the culture in America today. We are so consumed with distraction. I see it among Christians as well as non-Christians. There is little time for contemplation, for thought, for meditation. Um, and this is the only way one can actually develop a thoughtful life. Uh, and a thoughtful life, I would argue, is absolutely essential to being able to exercise the kind of discernment that we're talking about when one analyzes the world around them. I think that brings us to one of our callers here who wants to address this issue. Listen in on KCCV in Kansas. Jordan, thank you for calling today. All right, thanks for taking my call, Kirby. Uh, I just wanted to comment. I really agree with your guests there. I think the huge part of it is, as we've taken a lot of the black and white out of what's wrong and what isn't and people have concentrated so much on the gray area and being politically corrupt and nobody wants to stand up and say okay let's get back to the basics of this another thing i think has the public schools anything that's taught within a church or to these you know young youth groups when they get involved with their peers they hear that what they were taught is wrong or is unacceptable, or that's not politically correct. Another is the television. I mean, you cannot flip on any cable network without something within five or ten seconds that will either make a slander against Christianity or their sexual innuendo. And these kids are told, well, hey, if you don't like that, you go make your decisions and get out there in the world and you know, like you guys were talking about, then they're sent out to do the same thing, just unprepared. They don't have the knowledge that they need, and when they're asked questions, it makes them question their own beliefs because they don't know themselves. All good points. Uh, talk about, for just a minute, the media, and in particular, I know you've talked about this highly sexualized culture, Michael. Well, as we were talking uh, before the program, you and I and Pat, uh, we, we were talking about the, the, the nature of culture, how culture is formed, and, and the emphasis on the top-down approach, uh, that it is cultural elites historically that, that 
take control of key cultural institutions, education, media, the arts, government, etc., and, and, it's, and it's these institutions that then shape our cultural conceptions beyond the popular consensus, but they ultimately form the popular consensus. And this has been happening throughout history. Um, you know, if you look at the first century church's engagement with, with pagan Rome, uh, it began as a very small grassroots minority, a demographic minority, but, but they achieved cultural credibility through their, their works of charity, their service to the poor. They were, they were serving the poor, the needy, the sick, the dying, the, uh, the, the disenfranchised and abandoned far better than the government was. And in so doing, they achieved social credibility. People looked to them. Once they achieved that credibility, then they made a deliberate effort to move into the commanding heights of culture and they shaped what would ultimately become the most successful civilization in the history of the world, Western civilization. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. If you found this broadcast to be a blessing, please consider partnering with us. Evidence and Answers relies on generous donations from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate and keep us on the air, head on over to our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Evidence and Answers is grateful for our key sponsor, Highland Capital Management, providing investors with alternative investment solutions. To learn more, visit their website at hcmlp.com. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide reasons for faith and hope in Christ, right here on Evidence and Answers.